God has to say in his word in the book of Jonah, I think we begin to realize that the book of Jonah really has a lot to do with us. It has a lot to do with who we are. And so I want to thank you for being here this morning. It's great to be able to worship with you and get to know you and drink coffee with you this morning. And we're going to have really a conversation this morning. And I just, again, want to tell you how much we appreciate you taking time out of your busy lives to come and worship. And I hope you really feel like when you're here on a Sunday morning that that hour and a half of time is really an investment into your your life and the life of your family. It's one of those times that we come together and we become energized and we look at God's word together and then we leave this place to connect with both the person of God and the purposes of God. And that's really what I hope that we can do this morning because today's going to be really like a conversation. I'm going to kind of recap um, some of the places we've been in the series. And then really what I'd like to hear this morning is your voice and your thoughts on some things. And so hopefully you can begin to loosen up a little bit. And uh, when I was in middle school, we always had a teacher that said to put on our thinking cap. Until this day, sometimes I have to put on my thinking cap. And so maybe you need to put on yours now because we're going to hear from you in a little bit. But I really think there's some important things for us to grasp from the book of Jonah. And for the last couple of weeks, it's been really all about Jonah. And today, it's really going to be about us and where we're at. So this is really a journey for you. This is really a journey for me. And if you've ever been frustrated with the church, if you've ever been disconnected from the church, I think there's some stuff in here for you as well. And maybe you'll discover uh, some of the reasons you feel that way. Uh, one of the things we discover, I think, as we really started the book of Jonah, is that you and I are really a lot like Jonah. And today I want to break that down into three categories. We're going to take a cue from Clint Eastwood, and we're going to look at the good, the bad, and the ugly. Okay, so we're going to kind of take that route. So let's talk about the good ways that you and I really like Jonah. Uh, the first one is this, and I think this is really good news, is the Word of God is available to us. I mean, this is really significant, that you and I have the opportunity to hear the literal voice of God, that we have the opportunity to hear his word, to know what God is like, to know what perspectives and thoughts and commands he has on our lives. And for Jonah, we see that right away in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. It says, And the word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying... Now, here's what's really significant about Jonah, is most of the rest of Jonah's story has to do with the fact that he disobeys God, that he hears God's word and then doesn't respond to it in a way that honors God, in a way that would show that God is the authority in his life, that God is the one that is worthy of worship. And just like Jonah heard from the Lord, you and I have the word of God, the Bible, available to us. In fact, this is what Scripture says about itself in 2 Timothy chapter 3.16. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That you and I have the opportunity, and because of the age that we live in, because we live where we live and the time we live in, that, that we can have multiple translations of the Bible. In fact, my, my guess would be for most of you, no matter where you're at on your spiritual journey, you probably have one or two or 17 Bibles in your home somewhere. 
Uh, we live in a time where technology makes things very available to us, and so you can have uh, scriptures on your iPad, your Kindle, your iPhone, your Droid. I don't know why you'd have a Droid, but you could do that. And, and, and you could have technology available to you at any time that would provide you with scripture. And that God's word is available to us. And just like Jonah, that every time God speaks to us, every time we hear his voice, every time we see him in his word, that you and I have an opportunity to respond to him. And that one of the things that is awesome about our God is that he's a God that speaks. That you start in the very beginning, Genesis 1, and what do you see God doing? Speaking. That God spoke creation into existence. And that same God with that same voice would speak to you and to me. That we could know him so that we could see him, so that we could understand him, so that we could respond to him. And every time we hear God's word, we have an opportunity. An opportunity to grow in our walk with him. An opportunity to respond to him. An opportunity for the God of this world, the God who created all things, the God who is the most high to work in our lives. And so we have the word of God available to us. And just like Jonah, salvation is available to us. I mean, that's good news. I imagine that Jonah told that story, and I think so many people told that story. I think that's the reason the the book of Jonah is in Scripture is because we see that God is a God who saves And for Jonah, as he is sinking in the ocean, as he's thrown off the boat in the middle of the storm, as he talks about the seaweed coming in around him and pulling him down, as he feels like the earth is barring him in, as he feels as though the oxygen in his lung is escaping. He says in Jonah chapter 2, verse 7 and 9, he says, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed to you. I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And Jonah's referring to the fact that God saves him through a big fish. That somehow God in his greatness and all his authority could command this big fish to not eat Jonah, but swallow him and actually save his life. And he goes, salvation belongs to God. He goes, God can save anyone, and he can save them any way he wants to, including fish and mammals. God can do things to save our lives. And we see the pinnacle of this in Jesus. That God would send his son, Jesus, who would leave heaven and come to earth for us. That he would live a holy and perfect life for us. That he would die for us on the cross. That he would take your sin and my sin. That he would be guilty even though he is innocent. He would take my guilt and your guilt. and He would go to the cross. And he who knew no shame became shameful. And that he was murdered for you and for me. And scripture attests that he was dead, buried, and rose again on the third day. And because of that, salvation is available to us. That we can be forgiven for our sins, that we can be made new. 
Romans chapter 6, verse 23, this is Paul. He says, for the wages of sin is death, that you and I deserve death because we sin. Though every single one of us is guilty at some point, some of us in some way, some form have broken at least one of the Ten Commandments. For some of us it was at least five, and that was just on the drive to church. And because of that, we're guilty. Because of that sin, we stand before a holy, holy, holy God, guilty of sin, and the penalty is death. But Paul says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That you and I can be saved from our sin. That we can be reconciled with God. That we can have a relationship with him, not because we deserve it, but because God in his grace and because God in his love and because God in his mercy sent his son to die for us so that we might have life. And that's good news. The third way that we're really like Jonah is that we are called to reach people who are lost. That the word of God is available to us that salvation is available to us, and that for those of us that have experienced the salvation that comes only from Christ Jesus, that we are called by God to reach the lost. Now, Jonah had a very specific call. He had a very specific mission. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. God gets very specific with Jonah. He says, I want you to leave where you are, and I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to call out against that city. And to a prophet, that means preach. To go and proclaim the word that God has given him, the message that God has given him. He goes, I want you to go call out to them so they have an opportunity to respond to me. To see their sin, to see their evil, to see their wickedness. Repent of that and come to me. So for Jonah, it was very, very specific. I want you to go to this one place, to these one people, and I want you to preach this one message. And see, like Jonah, God has given us as Christ followers, us as believers, a very specific mission, although it's much more expansive. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus is speaking to his followers, to his disciples. Now, this is what we have to understand. Is it according to Scripture, if you're saved by Jesus, you're also his disciple? And so this message isn't just to the 12. This message isn't just to the early church. This message is for everyone who says, I've been saved by Jesus and I belong to him. It says that Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus said, Let me make this clear. If you've experienced that salvation, 
then one of the main purposes in your life is to tell others who have not about the salvation that you've experienced. That we would take this message of hope, that we would take this good news, that we would take this gospel from here to everywhere so that people would hear that Jesus came for them, that people would hear that Jesus died for them, that people would hear that Jesus rose for them, and that there's an opportunity for them to be saved by Jesus who lived for them and died for them and rose for them because he loved them. And that's a game changer. That we would be people who have experienced this radical grace, that we would radically go to people and say, but don't you want it? At least let me tell you about what I've experienced. At least let me tell you about what's going on in my life. At least let me tell you about what I understand in Scripture because there's an opportunity for you here. There's an opportunity for you to know Jesus like I know Jesus. There's an opportunity for you to be saved like I'm saved. There's the opportunity for you to experience eternal life rather than eternal death. And so we're like Jonah in some good ways that the word of God is available to us, that salvation is available to us, and that we have a very specific mission and purpose that we're supposed to reach those who are far from God. Now, we're also like Jonah in a bad way. And one of the things we saw in Jonah's life is that Jonah was connected to the person of God but he was never fully connected to the purposes of God. Don't miss that. Jonah was connected to the person of God. Jonah knew all about who God was. He knew about what God was like, but he was not connected with the purposes of God. There was a disconnect in Jonah's mind and in Jonah's life between who God is and what he wanted to do. And rather than knowing who God is and knowing what God wants to do, he only knew who he was. And he was disconnected from what God wanted to do. And just to give you a little teaser, this year we're going to do a series called Fully Alive. And the message is this. If you and I want to be fully alive in our lives, we need to connect with both the person of God and the purposes of God. If you've ever felt like your life's just on autopilot, if you've ever driven home from work, and you've all done this, and you didn't remember the drive home, then something's missing. And if we want to be fully alive, we have to connect with the person of God and the purposes of God. Because this is what Jesus says, right? John 10.10. He says that there's the thief who's come to kill to steal and destroy, but Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. See, sometimes we think Jesus left heaven so that we would never have to go to hell. But see, I think one of the reasons Jesus left heaven is not just so that we would never have to experience hell, but I think Jesus left heaven so Jesus could get inside of us, so that he could bring us life and so that we could have it abundantly. And see, I think we begin to experience this life, this abundant life, this thriving life, when we connect with both the person of God and the purposes of God. And see, for Jonah, he knew all about the person of God, right? 
He loved that God was a God of grace for him. He loved that God was a God of mercy for him. He loved that God was a God of steadfast love for him. He loved that God's heart was to relent from disaster instead of causing disaster. And he loved that for him. And so Jonah was connected with the person of God, but he was disconnected with the purposes of God because God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, and and Jonah reveals through his words to God that he would rather see five to 600,000 people die than go show them the same grace, the same mercy, the same love, the same relenting from disaster that he so appreciated for himself. So he was connected to the person of God, but disconnected from his purposes. And this is where Jonah begins to wrestle. This is where Jonah begins to tell God, God, I would rather die than go to that place. And this is where Jonah begins to try to justify the disconnect. He goes, but God, don't you understand what they've done? Don't you understand that they've made all these choices, that this is their fault? Don't you understand how much they've sinned? Don't you understand the the degree to which they've sinned? Don't you get how far from you they are? Don't you get how wicked they are? And Jonah actually tells God, I would rather die. I would rather die than to live in a world where the person of my God would choose to save people like that. He goes, I I would rather die than connect with both your person, your personality, your heart, and your purposes. Because God, I want all that you have. I just want it for me. I want all that you have to offer, but I don't think they deserve it. And so God, I have an issue here. See, one of the things we discover in the book of, of Jonah is that we have a God who pursues us. The God is a God who cares for his people. The God is a God who wants to see people, no matter how much they've sinned, no matter how wicked you think you are, no matter how far gone you think you are, that God is a God who comes to you and says, but you're mine. And I sent my son so that you might have life and eternity and hope and salvation. And see, Jonah couldn't wrap his head around that. And sometimes... I think we have trouble wrapping our head around that as well. See, I absolutely hate losing things. The thing that I hate losing the most is my cell phone. Like, I remember back in the day, like, I still remember the phone number that, my, that I grew up with, like, my whole life, my mom's phone. I still remember my best friend's phone number, okay, from, like, eighth grade, because back in the day, and some of you are a little too, you don't even remember this, and I'm sorry, but back in the day, you had to memorize phone numbers, remember that? Like, and if you didn't know, there was a phone book, right, okay? Or phone, or like 411, but your mom yelled at you because it was expensive, you know? That's 75 cents, you know? And so, so you had to memorize phone numbers. And, and if you ask me today, what's my wife's cell phone number? I don't know, she's number one in favorites. I mean, that's, a, you know, favorites, boom, that's her phone number. And so if I, lose, if I lose my cell phone, like, everything's gone. Contacts are gone. Like, I have no idea how to get a hold of people. Hey, you ever do that? You ever do that with your cell phone where you're looking for it? And you, you know you do this. Like, you're doing this, and you go, it's not in the pocket that I always 
put it in, and you start to freak out, and you start to kind of look around. That happened to me one time. I'm looking everywhere for my phone, and of course, we're trying to leave. And so on top of trying to get two kids ready and presentable to leave, and like, you know how that goes. If you're a parent, you know like disaster happens when you have to leave, and you know that you have to leave here, and all of a sudden like a kid can't find a shoe, and one kid's got to go to the bathroom, and another kid's naked, and you're like, I, I just dressed you. How did that happen? And, and, and you're trying to leave. Now you can't find your cell phone, and you're, you're running around. I'm running around my house looking, looking, looking. I can't find it. My wife's like, we got to go. We got to go. Like, I just can't find my cell phone. I'm taking pillows off the couch. And then I realize it's in my left hand. <laughs> the, whole, the whole time. It's in my left hand. It just wasn't in the pocket. And, and listen, don't judge me, because some of you, I'm telling the story, you reached down and you went, I'm safe. See, I hate losing stuff. In fact, one time, uh, when my oldest son, Shane, was probably three, so this was a couple years ago, we, we were in a, a store, and he decided that it would be really, really funny to hide from dad. And as a parent, this was not funny to me in one bit. And so he kind of runs off of me, and I'm like, you know, I'm like trying to do the polite parent thing where I'm like, Shane, get get People are like, you know, every parent's like, man, here it goes. It's finally like, stop, stop. Stop, and he like beelines into a clothes rack. He's just gone. He's just gone. And I'm like, Shane, hey, buddy, trying to act like this is no big deal. Hey, buddy, Shane, where are you? Hey, okay, Marco, okay, this is a day. Daddy's looking for you. And I finally like jump into where he was, and he's not there anymore. And like all of a sudden, I'm totally freaking out. And I was ready to go Liam Nielsen taking one and two. Okay, I was ready to start killing people pushing over clothes racks, I mean, just yelling at the top of my lungs. I was ready to freak out. And all of a sudden, I feel a tug on the back of my pants. And I turn around, and there he is. And he's like, hey, and I'm like, you are so dead. <laughs> so grab my hand. We're going to the car. And like, we didn't go to the store for, like, years. I mean, we ordered everything online. You know, I mean, totally freaked me out. Now, I was ready to do everything in my power to find him. And until this day, he does this to me where he like stands in my parental blind spot in the story. You ever had this happen where you're like, hey, where are you? And all of a sudden he's like, here. And you got to fully turn. You're like, you can't stand there. My peripheral vision stops about here. You need to be here at all times. And you see, as much as maybe we feel the tension or, or the stress, or maybe you've had a moment like that in your life, that's how God feels towards people who are far from him. I, can't, I mean, can you imagine how much more desperation? Can you imagine how much more urgency? Can you imagine how much more energy God puts into finding people who are far from him than we would put into finding a lost cell phone? And that I might turn over J.C. Penney to find my son, and yet there's millions of people alive today that God is relentlessly pursuing, saying, return to me. You don't have to live this way. You don't have to be separated from me. See, one of the things that happens is people who are saved sometimes connect more with who God is than his purposes, what he wants us to do. And see, Jonah was willing to die. I mean, he begged God twice to die. 
And I just think that's dangerous because, like, what if he said yes? Like, okay. And he's, he's asking him twice, I would rather die than live this way. And here's what I know about us. There's most of us in this room aren't saying, hey, I would rather die than see people far from God get saved. Like most of us aren't here saying, hey, I'll write the will, I'll go home and pray the prayer and hope God takes me because I don't want to see other people saved. That's pretty extreme. But what I do think happens is there's times that we would rather deny God, that we'd rather deny his purposes in our lives, and we would deny him the opportunity to use us by sharing our faith with other people. I think sometimes we maybe don't make it as extreme as a decision. Like, we don't go, God, kill me, but we say, God, I just, I'm not going to connect with this one. And I'm not going to share my faith, and I'm not going to invite people to church, and I'm not going to really talk much about this thing, and I I don't know if I really want to have a one-on-one conversation. And like, listen, we justify it. Well, it's not my spiritual gift. I'm just not really good at it. And what really happens is where Jonah wanted to to die, we end up denying God. You see, this is where this gets really ugly. Is what we discover is the lag time between hearing God's word and doing God's word reveals where we're at on our spiritual journey. The lag time between when we hear God's word and do God's word reveals some stuff about our heart reveals some stuff about the way we're connecting with God and his purposes. And if you're a parent, you already know this is true. Because somewhere in your mind, you've determined that there's a certain level of lag time between when you tell your children to do something and they do it, and it's appropriate. And for some of you, it's one, two, three. For some of you, it's one, one and a half, one and a half, two. You know, see what I'm saying? Like there's this lag time, and we go, if it goes too long disobedience. If you do it within this window, it's okay. And there's a lag time between hearing God's word and doing God's word, and that lag time reveals some stuff. It's kind of like a dummy light on the car. It doesn't tell us exactly what's wrong, but it gives us an indicator that something's up. Maybe it reveals our maturity. Maybe it reveals our passion. Maybe it reveals areas we're being disobedient. Maybe it just reveals areas we need to grow. And this is what I also believe. I believe there's three reasons people don't do things. Three reasons that you don't do things. And these three reasons are true for everything from taking out the trash to sharing your faith with your next door neighbor. Three reasons we don't do things. The first one is this. We just won't do it. Just won't do it. You go, I'm I'm just not going there. For whatever reason, we refuse. For whatever reason, we dig in. And for whatever reason, we go, I'm just not doing that one. The second one is we feel like we can't do it. Like, hey, I, I would do that, but I, I don't know how. The third reason is we just don't know how. And I think this comes down to three reasons that every single one of us don't do something. We either won't do it, feel like we can't do it, or we just don't know how to do it. Now, here's, here's why this is important, because we can help with number two and three. If you go, hey, I just feel like I can't do this, well, we can help. If you feel like, hey, the reason I can't do this is because I don't know how, well, we can help with that. If you feel like I just won't do it, 
we'll do our best to help with that too. In fact, the last scripture we're going to look at this morning is 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 6. And this is what he says. He says, and we know that we have come to know him. He's talking about Jesus. If we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly loves, in him truly the love of God is perfected. And by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked. See, when it comes to our faith, and when it comes to our spiritual walk in lives, there's the same three categories. I won't, feel like I can't, and I don't know how. Now, according to Scripture, here's how I think we break these down. If we say, hey, when it comes to things like sharing my faith, when it comes to things like serving, when it comes to things like generosity and giving, being in the community, inviting people to church, if you go, I just absolutely will not do them. This is what John says. He says, you won't do it because you don't know him. That there's a disconnect. And the disconnect begins with the person of who he is. And that if we're unwilling to do the purposes of God, it's probably because we don't know who he is. And so when it comes to, I won't, it might be because we don't really know him. If you go, I'm here and I just feel like maybe I can't. Man, I don't know if I can do this thing. But what an encouragement, because what John says is this. He says, as you hear God's word and do God's word, there's a supernatural thing taking place in you, and the love of God is being perfected in you. I mean, what an encouragement that is to think that, hey, when you hear God's word, when you hear his truth, and you begin to step out in faith to say, God, I need your help to do this, that somehow his love, by his power, by his grace, actually is perfected inside of you, that God's at work in you to motivate you, to strengthen you, and to help you step out to do that thing. That there's absolutely nothing in Scripture that God would ask you to do that he is not helping you to do, empowering you to do, or giving you the strength to do. In fact, he's perfecting you with his love to do it. And maybe you're here and you go, well, I just don't know how. I just don't know how. Well, that's awesome because we'd love to teach you. We'd love to encourage you. We'd love to get you out of rows and into circles of people who can walk that journey with you and encourage you and pray for you and support you. And see, what I love is John actually says it this way. He says, by this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Which means one of the ways that we can define spiritual growth or spiritual maturity is simply by closing the gap between how Jesus walked and how we walk. That you might say, hey, as a brand new believer, I've seen Jesus for the first time and I believe in who he is and I've repented of my sin and I've given my life to him. There's probably a very big gap between where you're at and how Jesus walks. And the other side of this that's really awesome is maybe you've been a believer for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years there's probably still a gap, although a smaller gap, between how you walk and how Jesus walks. 
It means that no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey, there's some growth that can take place. There's some opportunity to walk more like he walks. And I would say this. If you're here this morning and you've been angry at the church, or maybe you're one of the people that feels like, man, I just don't get the church, or I'm angry at the church, or I feel like they're a bunch of hypocrites, this is the reason you felt that way is you've been a part of churches that held to one standard, but as you looked around, the gap was too big, wasn't it? These people claimed to have it all together. They claimed to know all the right stuff. They claimed to be so holy, but as you looked at them, you went, the way Jesus is and the way you are, the gap's too big, and I just wish you would address the fact that the gap is too big. And see, we're a church that believes that your gap is probably a little too big too, and there's room for one more. One more hurting, broken, imperfect person who is loved by God and can be saved by Jesus and have the opportunity to shorten the gap between how Jesus walked and how we walked. And see, that's where I want to get this morning, is I want to have some conversation. And this isn't Seinfeld. It's not friends. We're not going to resolve this all in 30 minutes this morning. In fact, I would look at what's going to happen next as kind of a choose-your-own-adventure book. Did you ever read those? The choose-your-own-adventure books? They were awesome because if you ended up killing your character, you just kept a finger back and you went, I made the wrong decision. We're not going into the temple. We are going up the rock climbing wall, and we survived, and we win, which is awesome. But this is a little bit like a, a, a choose-your-own-adventure this morning because some of the stuff we talk about, you might go, hey, that doesn't really apply to me. Some of the other stuff, you go, hey, that one was me. Well, take those and jot those down. If you find things that hinder you, things that are preventing you from taking that next step, then choose your own adventure and go, hey, here's the top five things. Here's the top two things. Here's the one thing that I'm going to leave here working on. Because we're going to take some of this information that's going to inform me of what we should do. But here's the question. I think we get to the end of the book of Jonah and it just ends And I think we're left with this idea that God passionately pursues people who are far from him and that God intends to use his church, he intends to use people who have been saved by him and love him to pursue people who are far from him, that we're God's plan A in this community to take the gospel from here to the ends of the earth. And so the question I think we have to ask is what prevents us? What causes that gap to be so great? What are the things that prevent us from sharing our faith? What are the things that prevent us from praying for our community? What are the things that cause us from serving? What are the things that cause us from, or keep us from inviting people to church with us? See, I want to get some feedback this morning. I want you to have the opportunity to talk about some stuff. I'll lay a, a couple guidelines Um, only constructive stuff, like something we can do something with. If the reason you don't do these things is because of the aliens and you put tinfoil on your head, keep it to yourself, because I will talk about you at second service. Um, But the real stuff, you go, hey, the reason I haven't talked to that next-door neighbor, the reason I haven't invited my cousin, the reason I haven't taken that next step, the reason I don't, The reason I haven't, what are those? And the reason we're asking this question is because we want to help. 
The reason we're doing this is because we want to help shorten the gap. So here we go. The floor is yours. The first person is always the one that takes the longest. But what are the things that prevent you from sharing your faith? What are the things that prevent you from telling people what you already believe in? Go for it. Okay. I don't have any I don't have any belief that you can read that. That's just for me. So <laughs> some of you in the back are squinting. So what we got is scared of actually sharing and then scared of rejection. And somebody looks at you like, oh, you're one of those. Okay, thank you. What else? Yeah. Judgment, okay. Can you, can you give me more? What do you mean by judgment? Okay. Okay. So people looking at you strangely or negatively. Okay. Thank you. What else? Go ahead. You feel inadequate. So back to that, I feel like I can't. Like maybe I don't have all the tools. Okay, thank you. What else? Okay. So we'll call it the boring factor. Mm-hmm, I'm making a note. Pam feels bored. <laughs> Just joking. So people feel there is better stuff to do. Okay. What else? Okay. So time building the relationship. So you're talking more about being at a place where you feel like, hey, we're in a relationship where I can share this versus, okay, can I get a moment of your time? Okay, like that. What else? Yeah. Okay, so lack of opportunity. Give me, give me some more detail on that. I want to make sure what you mean and what I hear are the same. Okay. What else? What was that? Okay, what do you mean? Give me more. Okay. So if you, so help me break this down. So you're like having coffee with a Satanist. Your, your feeling is 
Okay, so resistance. Okay, do that. I need to know where you drink coffee. Um, <laughs> okay, what else? These are great. You were going to say something. Sure. Hey, brother. How's your road to sanctification today? <laughs> Christianese, right? It's like speaking another language sometimes. I was with my accountability group, and sorry, I could go all day. Um, what else? Okay. <laughs> See, this is church. Honesty. All right. Dear Lord. Okay. I really appreciate your honesty. Thank you. What else? Yeah. Okay. Sure. So, um, pushy or the, the opposite of that is, is that it would feel as though you're judging them. Hey, I've assessed your life and you're doing it wrong. Okay. And, and you can be wrong, but what else? Yeah. Okay. Okay, what else? Go ahead. Sure, okay. So, you know, some of these kind of become a combination, like don't want to be too bushy, don't want to judge, don't want to make it too awkward. So, yeah, but, hey, to each their own. Okay, I can see that. What else? Yeah. Ooh, that's a good one. So you share your faith, and all of a sudden a friend that you've had for a really long time might say we're not friends anymore. And that's hard. Okay. What else? These are great. Yeah. Sure. But unpack that for me. Sure. Do you ever feel like it's difficult because you don't know enough about the other belief? Somebody goes, hey, you know, we're all about Harry Krishna, and we hand out flowers at the airport, and you go, I have no idea, right? Is that true? I mean, you feel like you get into some of that? Okay. So. All right, we got time for a couple more. Let, let me, I'll, I'll, I'll just clear the room for a second. 
Everybody feel like there's at least one or two of these up there that you go, I can identify with that one. Like that one's for me. Okay. Anything that you would go, hey, this is what it's for me and it's not up there yet. Anything? Go ahead. Okay. All right, one more. Go ahead. Sure. I think one of the things, you know, when we talk about personal struggle, um, I think one of the things, one of the biggest misconceptions in Christianity is because we've been saved by Jesus, somehow we have to be perfect, right? So part of what I heard you say is that if life's not perfect, I feel like I don't necessarily want to step out because somebody would go, well, look at your life. I mean, pff, I don't want to sign up for that. Yeah. Yeah. Paul wrote books about how that's not true. So, but we take that on and we feel that way sometimes. Anything else? Anybody go, hey man, I got this one thing. Okay. Okay. Sure. Okay. All right. Lack of beard. No, I'm just joking. Um, all right. So here's the deal. I want to honor your time this morning. But here's, here's the deal. One of the things that was really convicting for me, motivating for me, is we take this whole list, right? And the one thing that Jonah accumulated his feelings before God were, I'm angry. Just angry that you would do this. You remember God's response to, to Jonah? Does it do you well to be angry? And I just tell you this, this whole study has caused me to evaluate stuff in my own life. And for many times, I, I could have this exact list in my own personal journal. And I think one of the things God would communicate to us through Jonah is, does it do you well to be scared? Do you well to feel rejection? Does it do you well to feel like you have to be perfect? Does it do you well to be bored in church? I'm just joking. To do you well to be, you know, fearing judgment? Now, now, now here's the thing. We want to help take those steps to get over that. Now, now here's, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to take whatever it is off of this thing that we've talked about. Whatever it is for you, one, two, three, five, all the above, let's begin personally and let's begin corporately shortening the gap between where we are and the way we walk, where Jesus is and the way he walks. Because that's spiritual growth. And one of the things we know is that God desperately desires to save people who are far from him. And if you've done the stats or if you look around, we live in an area where there's a lot of people who are far from him. If you live in a neighborhood, you simply need to leave your front door and you're in the middle of God's mission field. That you step into your workplace, and you are in the middle of God's 
mission field. You drive your children to school, to soccer practice, or to a friend's house. You are in the middle of God's mission field. And God desperately wants to save those who are far from him. And his plan is to use you and to use me to take the gospel to the ends of the world. And we as a church say it this way, that we just want to see lives changed by Jesus and disciples made. So together and individually, let's start to work on these together so that we might see more people saved, so that we might have more opportunities to share our faith, so we might have more opportunities to worship Jesus, so that we might have more opportunities to say, Jesus, here I am, I'm yours. Use me. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning, and we do thank you for who you are. God, I praise you for the real-time, truthful feedback that we've had in this place. Lord, in all my years of being a believer, I don't think once I've been in a church where we've done something like this. And so I appreciate your spirit moving. God, I appreciate the vulnerability and the truthfulness that exists in this place. And God, we come before you this morning and we admit to you that there's things in our hearts, there's things in our lives that hinder us. There's some fears that we have. There's some things that we're worried about. God, we give those to you this morning. And we ask that you would help to begin to remove those from our lives, that you would begin to release those barriers in our walk, God, that we could shorten the gap between the way Jesus walked and the way that we walked, that we could live for you and so that others might know you and be saved by you. Because we would participate with you, God, in your great calling, that we would pursue people who you are desperately trying to save. And God, maybe there's some of us here this morning, God, that the very reason we're here is simply because you wanted to communicate to us that you love us desperately and that you sent your son Jesus to die for us and that he rose again for us, that there's nobody too far gone, God, that we could never out-sin your love, we can never out-sin your grace and that we can never be too far. And God, that maybe just like you sent a big fish to save Jonah, Maybe today you brought some people to a big red barn so that they might be saved by you. That maybe if you're here today, there's something inside of you stirring. There's something inside of you yearning for the love and the acceptance and the salvation that comes from Christ alone. And if you feel that way, what Scripture says that if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, if you would repent from your sin and say yes to him, that he would be faithful and just and that he would save you from your sin and give you eternal life. And I'm so thankful that we are in this place worshiping a God who is alive, a God who saves, a God who chooses to use his broken people to take the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Jesus, help us to respond to you in a way that glorifies you, in a way that worships you, in a way that shortens the gap between us and you. It's in the great name of Jesus we pray. Amen.